Well, I do want to welcome you again this morning, and I hope that 2023 is finding you well. Late last fall, we began studying the book of Hebrews. It was a month before the Advent season began, roughly, and we made our way through two chapters almost. And then came Thanksgiving, and then came December, and and so as we are a week into the new year, I feel it best for us to review the beginning of the letter. So this week, uh, I'm going to take, uh, this week and next, I'm going to summarize the the first two chapters. This first week of the new year, I I met with some area pastors for, for lunch and for prayer. And this was my prayer. It was simply this. That we would love Jesus. I was praying for our church. I said that we would love Jesus and His Word more deeply this year. Amen. And that we would trust Jesus and His Word more deeply this year as well. That, that's, 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 what I, that's for what I prayed. And because if we love Jesus and we love His Word and we we trust Jesus and we trust His Word and we are in the habit of going more deeply continually, then what happens? How, how does that play out? Well, then we, if we are loving and trusting, then what happens? We are following Jesus and following His Word more deeply as well. And... How do we do that? Well, we dive into His Word, and many, many of us read. And so, if you read the first few chapters of a book and set it down for a month, and then you come back and start in <laughs> third of the way through the book, you're thinking, what do I say? Okay, <laughs> bring me up to speed here. That's why we're doing this today. Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. And we need this reminder. And this is why. A lot of people have a lot of opinions about God and about Jesus. We, uh, they say that opinions are like orifices. Everybody's got two or three or four about a lot of things. But, but a lot is, lots have been said and lots, lots have been written. Self-help books, media outlets, talk show hosts all have opinions and all share comments about God and, and about Jesus. And if, if we want an accurate picture of God, we really should go to the source. What does the Bible, what does God's Word say about God and Jesus? You want to know that because that's why you're here. You've come to, to see what does His Word say. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1. And in just a few minutes, we're going to have a refresher of chapter 1 of Hebrews. An old friend of mine said that the book of Hebrews made her fall in love with Jesus all over again. It may be the earliest sermon found in the New Testament, and we don't really... It's possibly written to first century Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, or maybe, maybe Gentile Christians in Rome. Maybe that was the original audience, but regardless... The audience is for God's people down through the ages. And, and the, author, the author is anonymous. The author is unknown. No one knows who penned the letter for certain. We know that the Holy Spirit inspired this letter to be written. And some teachers 
have said maybe Paul wrote it, but there's evidence to prove that Paul was probably not the author of this. Some have said maybe Barnabas, he was the one who, who was with Paul early in Paul's ministry. Uh, and there's other New Testament faces to maybe it's attributed. Uh, but only the Lord knows, and that's, that's okay. One of these days, we'll find out who, who penned this letter. What's the purpose of the letter? Why, what, what should the church see today? Why does this matter to us today? Well, it's a sermon. And the sermon is, is written to encourage the church to grow in the faith. And how do we grow in the faith? Well, we grow in the knowledge of His Word. The, the church is told to mature in the things of God, to grow up. And whether you know, it's the idea of either growing up or, or raising children in the home, there, there comes a point in time. We're always trying to encourage. There's time for kids to be kids, and there's a time to, to kind of turn the corner and to take some steps to kind of to move some things forward. And that happens with all of us. And it's the same goes for the church. The church is told to hold on to the, to the faith, to persevere. Warnings are given to not fall away as suffering will come. There will come things that will challenge our faith. And we're told to dig in and to hold on to the things of God. Maybe you've had your faith shaken in some ways this week or this season. Maybe you felt your heart kind of grow a little cold toward the things of God. Maybe it's a challenge, a season of challenge for some. But we're told to hold fast. And our faith will grow as well as our knowledge in the things of God. And, and our hope, as our knowledge in the things of God grows, our hope in Him grows as well. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Look with me quickly. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the world. We, we know God has spoken. God spoke creation into being by the power of His Word. And, 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 and He's spoken to our fathers of faith. He spoke to Abraham. God told Abraham to go to the land where I will show you. He spoke to Moses. God, Do you remember God speaking to Moses from the burning bush? God has spoken in the prophets like Samuel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. We've got half of our Bible are words spoken to the prophets, bringing messages of warning for God's people to turn from self and turn from self and turn from sin and turn back to Him. And in, and God has spoken in many portions and in many ways, whether in dreams to to Joseph or in the belly of a well to Jonah. <laughs> God has spoken in many ways, and God spoke in this manner long ago. But in these days, God has spoken to us in his Son. Jesus, the great, full, and final revelation. You know, there's folks who have said, well, you know, God's, there's a new, there's a new testament, or there's a new book, or there's a new gospel. No, it's... <laughs> the final word was through Jesus. 
Jesus, look at verse 3, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of God's nature and God's splendor. And Jesus upholds all things by the word of His Father's power. Paul, in Colossians chapter 1, he says it like this. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And my, we forget that, don't we? We forget that. Jesus is most valuable. Jesus is the most valuable. It's all through him and all for him. And we see there in verse 3, when Jesus had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How did Jesus make purification of sins? Well, if we were to continue... In Colossians chapter 1, we'd see that in Colossians chapter 1 verse 19, that it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Jesus. We've enjoyed having all three children home this last month. Everybody together. Last night we were sitting around playing board games. And, you know, I'm looking across the table at my wife and we're watching our three and those are, those are moments of you, you, feel, you feel joy and you feel pride. And you see aspects of, we see aspects of ourselves in them, and we're pro- proud of that. And, and then there's times we see aspects of ourselves in them, and we're going, oh, my goodness, he, he or she learned that from me. <laughs> you know. Parts of us dwell in them. And in the same way, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And, and we see in Colossians 1 verse 20 that, that through Jesus, Jesus reconciled all things to the Father, where, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. It's because of the cross, through the cross, Jesus has made peace, and that's how Jesus has cleansed you and me of, of, of our sin. Jesus, the Son of God, then sat down at the right hand of the majestic Father God. At the right hand, the most valued place of honor, nearest the King. Having become so much better than the angels to the extent that He has inherited a more excellent name than the angels. Paul says in Philippians 2, that well-known scripture that, that says that Christ Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted his Son and bestowed upon Jesus the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I could stop right there. 
and I could just make a statement talking about bowing the knee. We will all bow the knee at some point, and it's a whole lot better on this side of life and on this side of salvation to make the choice to bow the knee, <laughs> a need, and bowing the heart, saying, Father, I trust you. I trust what your Son has done for me on the cross, and I want to turn from myself. I want to turn from my sin, and I want to trust in what Jesus has done for me on the cross, and I, I want him to be the Lord of my life. And, and it's a whole lot better to bow the knee at that point than to wait when the Son and His angels come as Jesus Himself told us in Matthew 24 when Jesus and His angels return and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. It's a whole lot better to make the choice to bow the knee now. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. On the earth under the earth, even the angels in heaven. Even the angels in heaven. Question, look at verse 5. For which of the angels did the Lord ever say, to which one did he ever say, you're my son, I fathered you today, or I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. God is the father of Jesus. And there's a relationship between the father and the son. And, and one of the most vivid images we have of their relationship is found is found in the content of Jesus' prayer during the Last Supper with the disciples before he's betrayed and arrested and tried and crucified. Jesus asks the Father for a specific request in John chapter 17 regarding his followers, those around the table that night, all the way to us today and the ones who come after. Jesus prays and he says that my followers, my disciples, may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may also be in us. The pastor really needs to add that to his prayer for his church this morning, that we would be one in the Father. So that the world may believe... Jesus says, so the world would believe that you have sent me, Father. They represent us. Jesus is in the Father. The Father is in Jesus. They are one, and we can be one with them. They have a unique relationship, and, and we're able to be partakers in that relationship. And, and I've said this before. We have to remember that the relationship between the Father and the Son is a model to which we are to aspire, we are to follow that. And it's also a, mo a model of how we will be evaluated. We're to function with one another with a similar intent. As we've seen in Jesus' prayer, that's his goal and his heart for his church, that we would be one and we would be one with them. And we have to strive for absolutely nothing less. Nothing less is acceptable. Verse 5, the writer of Hebrews says this, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. And, and where, where, where did the writer of Hebrews, where, did he, where was he looking? Well, there was a day when the Lord brought a word of prophecy to King David. In 2 Samuel 7, the Lord says, I myself... The Lord took you, David, 
from the pasture, from following the sheep. You remember the little shepherd boy, David? And I took you from that point all the way to be leader over my people Israel. And when your days are finished and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. The writer of the book of Hebrews reminds, reminds us that the Lord has assigned David and his descendants, his descendant with a capital D, Jesus. He's assigned Jesus a place and a role different than that of the angels. This assignment of kingship has not been given to an angel. You see, there's a lot of misunderstandings about angels. I mean, I love stories about angels. It's a wonderful life when Clarence gets his wings... That's a beautiful story. I watched that, uh, I think it was Christmas Eve. I told you all one time, that was not one of my favorite movies, but over the last two years, that's become one of my favorite holiday movies. And it's, it's inspiring. It's a great movie. But the reality is, we don't become angels. Clarence was, what, was 243 years old? <laughs> we don't become angels. Angels are uniquely created. And Psalm 8 tells us that man has been made a little lower than the angels, but yet we've been crowned with glory and honor. But we enjoy Hollywood, don't we? We enjoy kind of some of the things that they show us. But, but the fact is, Jesus and angels and men are all three different and distinct. Their assignment of kingship has not been given to an angel. The Son, the one who is fathered, is the anointed. And that word anointed is Messiah. The Son is the Messiah. Listen to what, what else the, the writer of Hebrews says next about Jesus and the angels. When the Lord, again, brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And we just came through this season. You remember in Luke 2 when the shepherds are on the hillside and the angels show up and they say, glory to God in the highest. They're worshiping the Son. They proclaim His glory. And, and then there in verse 7, regarding the angels, the Lord says, He makes His angels winds and His ministers a flame of fire. Angels are subservient to Jesus. But regarding the Son, the Father says, Your throne is forever and ever. And the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of His kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your companions. You see, why does this matter? People say lots of things about Jesus. What does God's Word say about Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God, and He's sovereign over all. He's anointed above His companions. He's anointed above the angels. He's anointed above us. Jesus is one with God the Father. He's above the angels. He's unique. Jesus is anointed. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is sovereign. And in just a second, in verse 10, we're going to see that Jesus is eternal. Look at verse 10. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. Like a garment, they will also be changed, but you are the same. And your years will not come to an end. And then a question. 
Which of the angels has the Lord ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The angels, they don't sit at the right hand of God. The seat of the right hand of God, the seat there, is designated, as we saw earlier, for God the Son, for Jesus. And about these angels, the question is asked, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to provide service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? What's the job of the angels? They serve the Son. They are subservient to Him, and they serve Him. In Matthew chapter 4, after the baptism of Jesus, after Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit where He is tempted for 40 days, after the 40 days of temptation, when the devil leaves Jesus, the angels, we see in Matthew chapter 4.11, that the angels come and minister to the Son. And in a similar manner, Angels minister and provide service for those of us who are inheriting salvation. We've seen in the book of Daniel how how an angel closed the mouths of, of lions when the prophet Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. In Acts chapter 5, we, we, we've read how an angel released Peter and the apostles from prison. And, and we don't know. We don't know all the ways on this side of life how angels have been assisting you and me and and will continue to assist us. We don't know. But we see it in Scripture that they serve the Son. They serve under Him, the Son of God, the Son of God, who, who is one with God the Father. God the Father is holy. God is love and God is light. And Jesus is his perfect representation. The radiance of his glory. Jesus more valuable than anything. Jesus the most valuable. Jesus came to dwell with us because God wanted to dwell with us among his people. That's always been his plan, always been his desire, always been his heart, is to dwell with his people. With with Adam and Eve in the garden. He came to visit them in the cool of the day, and then he found out that sin had entered in. God, wanting to dwell with his people there in the wilderness after the exodus, We see in John chapter 1 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's always been God's desire to be with His people. And He has given us a way back through Jesus. Jesus came to make a way for us. Jesus came to deal with sin. And God the Father loves us so very, very, very much that He gave His only begotten, unique, one-of-a-kind, set-apart Son who is a perfect representation of Himself to us. That whoever would trust in the Lordship of Jesus and what He did on that cross would not perish but, but have eternal life. That's how much He 
values us. That's how much he values us. And what better way to to begin a new year? How loved by the Father we are. How valued we are. Jesus, the one who is above all things, went to the cross for us. Jesus, he's above all things. The most valued. Why does this matter? Well, at one level, (laughs) if you could trust Jesus to deal with your sin, if you can trust Jesus to deal with your eternity, your tomorrow, if we can trust Jesus to do all that, then guess what? Jesus can deal with our todays. He can deal with whatever comes around the corner this very day. He loves us and He values us. Let's pray together. Lord, we see so much stuff. And in this, in this one chapter, there's just so much stuff that points to the unique person of Jesus. Who Jesus is, from whence He came, why He came, the fact that He has come to dwell with His people and for, to make a way for us to dwell with the Father. There's going to come a day we see in the book of Revelation that we will be in His presence and He will dwell with His people and He will be the only light we will have to have. There will be no more day and no more night. We will be with Him in His light. But Father, it all begins, that journey begins for each one of us at that moment when we come to the realization that we as sinners need, we need saving. And we can't do it ourselves. And you have uniquely positioned one to do that for us, and that's Jesus. The journey begins there. Father, you know the hearts of the folks in this room. You know the, the situations and, and, the, and the, everything going on with our body here. And you know the hearts who have trusted you and you know the hearts who are hesitant. But I pray that you would have your way this this morning. This wonderful grace you've shown us that's greater than anything that we've ever thought or acted on. You're still the Savior today. And you've given us an altar here that we can come and do business with you. Father, have your way in us this morning, but have your way in us continually this year. In your son's strong name we pray and we worship. Amen.